0: You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hello, Joyful Warriors. This is Tiffany Justice, and today we are joined by Jeff Childers. Jeff is a commercial litigation attorney uh, with a small law practice in Gainesville, Florida, where he and he lives with his wife and three boys. And Jeff and I met uh, in this fight against COVID restrictions in Florida and masking in schools. Jeff has become a friend of mine, um, and I have watched as he has been a champion for parental rights and for employees' rights uh, in Florida, and now working um, with people across the country to make the same thing happen. Uh, so welcome, Jeff, to the Joyful Warrior Podcast.
1: Well, good morning, Tiffany. Thank you very much.
0: So tell us, what have you been up to lately?
1: <laughs> well, um, we're staying busy, that's for sure. Yeah. As you know, I've got a daily blog, uh, www.coffeeandcovid.com, that we put out every day with news updates, both on Uh, national news Florida news and what's happening with the law related to all these mandates and school related issues Uh, we've got a number of lawsuits going we have uh, draft legislation that we're working with various lawmakers around the state of Florida trying to get passed and uh, package of amendments to the parents bill of rights that we've been working on. So
0: let me stop you for a second. Let's go back and start with Coffee and COVID. So um, you write a blog every day. Is that, is that the case?
1: That is true. I don't know how I managed to get myself <laughs> back, but I did, and now I'm stuck.
0: So ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, please go uh, to Facebook, and, and you can go to Je- Jeff. Say the name of the website where it can be found again.
1: Sure. It's www.coffeeandcovid.com. A-N-D So you have to have your coffee first before you get to COVID news.
0: So have you always, I mean, starting a blog and writing every day is a big commitment. Um, where did that come from? How did you get that inspiration to do that?
1: Oh, it was completely accidental. Um, <laughs> so back in uh, early, like March of 2020, uh, the, the whole pandemic was unfolding and Everybody was really freaking out and alarmed, and I was too. You know, that was when they were saying cases were doubling every two days, and uh, they were talking about buying body bags and mass graves and all that nonsense. Yep. And so uh, I'm a lawyer, and I deal with facts and data and things that I can prove in court. And so my approach to sort of managing my own anxiety was to dig into the numbers. And so I. I started collecting you know case numbers and whatever was being reported at that time and putting it into spreadsheets and looking at it and what it looked like to me after i'd done that work was it was nowhere near as bad as what the media was saying and um i was you know pretty surprised and shocked by that about how bad the uh, misinformation was it was coming from what were considered mainstream news sources so um, I was looking at my information and noticing that you know people were were understandably upset about what they were hearing in the news every day. So I thought, well, I'll just throw this up on Facebook and see if it helps anyone. And at that time, I wasn't really what you would call a Facebook user. I didn't even know how to post something there. <laughs> how I times might've... have changed. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, I probably only had a couple hundred friends uh, on Facebook and. Um, it immediately took off. and people started forwarding and and sharing it. and um, you know the amount of information that I was putting in it sort of increased over time. And I started to get these uh, really um, moving testimonials from folks who had read the blog. So, for example, I would get a an a message on Facebook from somebody in New York City and they would write me this long, sincere description of how they were uh, contemplating killing themselves oh. because how upset they were. And they started to read the blog and it made better. Wow. And I got stories like that over and over and over again and it really convicted me that what I was doing was important and I needed to, to keep it up.
0: That's and amazing.
1: I I focus on really on the good news and putting the optimistic spin on what we're looking at because nine times out of 10, the optimistic spin turns out to be what actually happens. So uh, I felt like the market for bad news was completely saturated. And I've been told over and over again that the only place people get good news about COVID is from, from the blog. Now, I'm just rounding up these news articles from uh, other places that I find them, but it's almost impossible to find a, a, a place where you can you know, really find out what's actually happening and um, you know, without all the doom and gloom.
0: Well, and I, I start my day with coffee and COVID, uh, the blog <laughs> every day, and it does help to keep me um, up to date. And I do appreciate uh, the positive uh, highlights that you add. And one of the things, Jeff, that you and I have talked about a lot over the course of of how many months now is um, mental health, mental health in America, uh, mental health with our children, right? Some of the concerns that we've had um, and that we see right now being amplified with suicides across the country, teen suicides, really scary stuff. Um, And so I think you highlighting the fact that we do need to have the positive word get out, it's important because the media certainly does focus on the negative.
1: Yeah, and if you look back, um, we were really looking at historic high levels of sort of free-floating anxiety in the U.S. even before COVID came along. So um, what the media has done has just poured gasoline on top of, uh, you know, the, the campfire that was already burning, and um, it's really a shame. I think a lot of it could have been avoided. and we, we have the media to blame for what are now, you know, even beyond historic levels of depression, anxiety, and other kinds of mental illness that we're seeing at, at rates that we've never seen before.
0: And I know that you've shared with me before the comorbidities for COVID shifted from 2020 to 2021. Can you talk about that for a second?
1: Sure. And in, in 2020, when they when the CDC identified the top risk factors for um, dying from COVID, so if you if you catch it and you have a serious case, there there were comorbidities they identified that made you more likely to wind up uh, succumbing to the disease. And in 2020, the uh, the list, which I think everybody's pretty familiar with by now, included things like obesity and diabetes and you know heart disease and some things like that. Well. In 2021, that um, list began to change. And in the last published um, recap, the CDC identified that another, a new comorbidity had tied for first place with obesity as a predictor for mortality from serious COVID. And that new one was fear and anxiety related disorders. Wow. So fear and anxiety is literally killing people. Literally. And I would bet that it is now in first
0: place. Yeah, now- you and you and I have discussed that a spirit of fear had taken over the country, but and I think what you're seeing, you know, people talk a lot about what we've seen in Virginia in the governor's race. And and Moms for Liberty has seen some really significant wins uh, on school boards across the country with people joining who are parental rights champions. Um, And I think what you're seeing from parents Uh, is that we're we're a little tired of our children living in this fear, in this spirit of fear with this doom and gloom and no optimism and hope for um, our country, for um, each other. And so I know you and I have talked about that quite a bit. Our children in America have been really made to shoulder the burden uh, of much of what's happened during COVID. Would you agree?
1: I would say I would go further than that. And I would say it's outrageous and reprehensible what's been done to children in this country. They've had two years of childhood turned inside out. It, you know, they've they've uh, they've experienced a nightmarish reality where not only are they being told all the time that they're at risk of dying, but worse than that, they're they're being told that that they are a threat, that they could kill grandma.
0: Living with MS? that fear. Yeah. Every day worrying that they somehow are going to get someone sick. And then the idea of, you know, being asymptomatic, right, and being spreading so that you wouldn't even know. These poor kids are being forced to mask, hand are constantly, socially distanced at school. Um, I saw something on um, like a meme on um, the, on social media that had kids sitting in, in hula hoops on the ground with masks on with a teacher reading a book with mask on. And, and it said, yeah, right. Uh, they told us homeschooling was going to make our kids weird. Um, right. And and so here we are in, in these public schools um, separating children in this way that is so against everything we know children need in school.
1: Yeah, it's um, it- indefensible Uh, they they like to the people who are um, advocating for these kinds of policies like to cite the science but the science is going the opposite way Um, study after study is showing that there's no benefit no reduction in community transmission from these policies between communities that have them and communities that don't have them and the Europeans have gone the exact opposite direction Um, You know, I used to think the Europeans were the crazy ones. And what we're doing in this country to our children is absolutely insane.
0: And you and I have worked a lot in the past few months um, with people all over the state of Florida to fight against uh, mask mandates that we saw happening in schools. And we've been really lucky in Florida to have a governor that has stood for parental rights and has made it now that uh, parents have the sole discretion to choose whether or not to mask their children or to quarantine their children. And we've seen um, such significant improvements in um, attendance rates in schools and achievement in schools in Florida. um, And our kids are are doing well and breathing freely. We're thankful for that. Um, That's not the case around the country, is it?
1: It's not. And it's not the case in lots of other countries. Um, I've spoken, for example, just recently with Canadians who disclosed to me that they fled their country. And by fled, I mean they left their houses and all their property behind, their cars, their personal possessions. And um, two families that I spoke to, two Canadian families here in Florida, they were removed in the middle of the night by a helicopter that transported them across the border to a waiting car. Wow. They drove across the country without stopping to get to Florida.
0: That's crazy. I mean, it's it's wild to me to hear that. And, and even in our own country, I know there are states. We have chapters all across the country and um, I talked to moms in California and Washington and Oregon, Michigan, Illinois, New York. Um, now they are in California you know, talking about vaccine mandates for K through 12. I know San Francisco has moved forward with children um, getting vaccinated, requiring vaccination for public schools. So if you could just share with us a little bit, some of the work that you're doing now, fighting against uh, vaccine mandates, um, for, I know you're working with employees right now, um, and, and government employees, and then, and perhaps you, you can talk a little bit about private business and me- religious exemptions. I know, um, and medical exemptions, I know you've done some work in that area. Um, but then just give us a, a foreshadowing, you know, what to expect with vaccine mandates for kids in America.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let's go back a little bit. Okay. And, um, I'm going to give you a, a framework a lens to look at what's been happening through and it's it's a lens that describes how the federal government's approached its um, policy related to vaccination so prior to 2021 there were um, three models that, that existed already where um, entities could require folks to take vaccines the military schools and hospitals And in the military, when uh, you uh, um, enter the military, you essentially sign away most of your constitutional rights and you um, become subject to military code of justice. And it's well known that uh, one of the things that they can make you do is take vaccines. And they did have an exemption process. But uh, by and large, those service members were required to vaccinate whenever the military thought it was necessary so that's the first model the second model was um the schools and we're all familiar with the childhood vaccination routine in order to attend public school you've got to have your vaccinations current and up to date and they've been you know developing that law for decades um it it's, it varies from state to state. Florida has a very liberal exemption process. You just uh, have to register with the state and your child can be exempt from the vaccines. Um, there are you know national groups like children's health defense and groups like that that have been trying to push back in states where those vaccine requirements were more onerous and, and less forgiving for exemptions. Um, the third model was the hospital model where For I don't know. It hasn't really even been that long. I'm not sure it's even been 20 years that hospitals have been requiring hospital employees to get um, vaccines, mostly the influenza vaccine. Okay, so that was the landscape that we were looking at prior to 2021. And so when uh, my belief is that when the federal government started looking at ways to encourage mandatory vaccination, they looked at those three models. And the military model is not something that was really available to them because uh, non-military citizens do have all their constitutional rights. And you may recall Joe Biden saying that he didn't believe the federal government had the right to order
0: vaccinations. I do remember that.
1: Yeah. And so uh, what they began to look at was the other models and how could they work around those constitutional limitations. And so um, the school model is the vaccine passport, right? Because the, the way the school mandate worked is in order to enter the school, for your child to enroll in public school, they had to show proof of vaccination. So that's where this lunatic idea of vaccine passports came up, in my opinion. I think they, they modeled it after the, the, you know, that school um, vaccine, you know, model that uh, in order to enter, you have to show proof of vaccination. Well, the problem with that one was it didn't take off and people pushed back against it and nobody wanted to do it. And several states, including Florida, banned them. And ultimately the federal government gave up the idea of of the passport. Um, so now we're in what I view as phase three, where they're basing the, you know, their current strategy with these Biden executive orders and the agency guidelines like OSHA and CMS, that's based on that third model, the hospital model, where they get a private employer, formerly hospitals, but now every employer in the country is targeted uh, to implement these vaccination requirements, and they they base it on this, you know, longstanding. Uh, in their view, ability of hospitals to require employees to take these vaccines. I don't know, there there is a lot of litigation. Um, You know, when I started looking into this, I did the research and there's a lot of cases in the last 10 or 20 years over these hospital influenza mandates. But, um, and they've been upheld by and large.
0: Right. Uh,
1: But it's never been coerced by the federal government before. That's what's new. So, for example, CMS, which is the agency that runs the Medicare, Medicaid reimbursement system, which most hospitals are dependent on, um, that system never required hospitals to vaccinate employees mm-hmm. for influenza. But now we have a brand new, this brand new mandate where they're going to require not just hospitals, but every employer to require their employees to be vaccinated. And this is just a way to circumvent the lack of ability of the federal government to do it directly.
0: And it's a wonder so, why why Americans are not feeling very trusting of the American government these days, right?
1: The federal government's completely out of control. Um, the, the They're not acting in good faith, in my view. As an example, I would point back to the moratorium on evictions on landlords that the EDC was pushing and and it went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court um, said it was unconstitutional and struck it down and the Biden administration came up with a new rule that they knew was unconstitutional And in an interview I don't remember the exact language so I'm going to paraphrase but in an interview the administration official said, "Yeah, we know it's unconstitutional, but somebody's going to have to sue us and make us stop."
0: And here, and, and herein lies exactly where parents have found themselves across the country, and where we found ourselves in Florida, really having to work through the court system.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and um, it's really remarkable to me, Tiffany, what we've seen even in, here in Florida with the rebellious counties. And some of your listeners may not be completely familiar with what we've been dealing with. And they think, you know, Florida is a unified free state, but that has not been the case in a number of blue counties, which have just openly defied the governor's executive orders and the agency orders, such as from the Florida Department of Health. And, and uh, you know, to a county, they claimed that they were following the science and that they were following the federal agency so they you would always hear them citing to the cdc and i was just amazed at the cognitive dissonance that's required to justify your action by citing to one agency while you're defying
0: the other one right exactly
1: what's the difference i mean it's um it's so illogical and irrational. Uh, That it's difficult to even describe it. But, But what we had to do was we had to start suing them and taking them to court and getting orders, because at the end of the day, if a government official defies a court order, then they could conceivably be subject to criminal sanctions. And so that's really the only thing that ultimately would get their attention.
0: And, and, and that's what you have done, and, and I would just want to say thank you to you. I, I consider you to be an American hero. Um, I've been very thankful to have met you and your wife, Michelle. Michelle um, works with Moms for Liberty in Alachua County, and, and the county where you live is one of those kind of blue counties, right, that basically told the governor, um, we don't really care what you're saying, the Surgeon General, we're not really interested in, in the medical um, advice that you're giving and, and rules that you're issuing, and we're basically going to keep kids masked, Uh, full-time in school, and Alachua is one of the few districts in the state that defied the governor and and all state laws in that manner. Really shocking. So um, you have good news from Alachua, though. They've finally come around this week?
1: Well, I would say they collapsed under the pressure.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, well, you know, everyone's trying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but the truth is you're right. They did collapse under the pressure, and and good, right?
1: Yes. So as of uh, tomorrow the county is going to come into full compliance with the department of health guidance which requires that parents receive an opt out of the masking policy at their sole discretion which handled the you know the previous game that these counties were playing uh, there was a previous order that said parents were required to be provided an opt out but it didn't say at their sole discretion so these counties came up with a whole bunch of bureaucratic mumbo jumbo requiring doctors notes and then they and they said what types of doctors it had to be, and then they engaged in public campaign against doctors that were writing exemption notes. It just, I mean, it, it described this to you. ago, you would have thought it was the the dumbest story you ever heard. That could never happen.
0: Well, and, totally. and yeah, I, I think that I've often asked, you know, I, I think everyone has a line, right? And 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 I and I ask people, what's your line? I was serving on school board when COVID uh, started. And we closed schools in March on March 13th, 2020, Um, and uh, the restrictions and the things that I saw happening in the schools uh, were shocking to me. Once schools reopened, Um, parents were not uh, being considered the expert of their own child, and there were many subclinical harms that parents were seeing from masking that. School boards were completely ignoring, and that was my line. Um, I saw very clearly that if they could force you to inhibit the breathing of your child all day long every day uh, with total disregard for your concerns about your child's uh, medical uh, and and mental health, um, that there was really no end to what they could do Uh, that was demonstrated very clearly to me when I was serving in elected office. And so that was my line, but I know that vaccine mandates for many um, is the line, but you and I have talked a lot about um, where is your line, right? As a parent. And, and one of the things that I remember we discussed was the fact one day you and I were talking and you said, Tiffany, you're a war mom. Now you need to understand, you need to help these moms understand, um, that today in America, you're a war mom, you're fighting for, for freedom, and you're going to have to teach your children to fight for freedom. So um, maybe you could just chat with me a little bit about what that looks like for the future of America as we raise our children in this country where our freedoms and liberties are continually being restricted.
1: So Tiffany, as you know, I've been really interested in this subject. And it's because I think that when, when you use the phrase war moms, um, that's not an allegory. That's not figurative. That's a literal description of where our moms are at. They're, they're moms who are raising kids. And you know, more specifically, what I mean by that is if you think about our parents' generation and their parents' generation, they went through these world wars, these horrible periods of time in history where, you know men, um, military age men, dads, from the states were being sent overseas to fight and die in Europe, right? And the moms were having to leave the home and go work in the factories to make the bullets and the guns for the men overseas to use to fight with. And um, it was an all-in effort and everybody was, you know, oriented and working together on that common objective to win those world wars. And so what I believe is that, that we're in the middle of a world war now. It's a different kind of war than the wars that uh, our parents and their parents were involved in. But it's nevertheless a, a world war and the stakes are just as high as they were in either of the previous two world wars, right? They were the, the our parents and, and their parents were fighting fascism and communism. Yep. And, uh, you know, those were threatening to, to spread their horrifying ideologies they murderous, um, you know, devastating ideologies over the whole planet. And we had to go stop it. And uh, the only difference now is that it's not a hot war yet, and hopefully it will never be. Um, but the other difference is that it's here. It's not overseas.
0: It's within it's our own here country. In the United
1: States. Yeah. And so when we say that our moms are war moms, they're raising kids in the middle of wartime. And that takes a different kind of uh, approach. And, you you know, people ask me sometimes, well, what does that look like? And what I would suggest is that, um, you know, our moms need to be working together to teach their kids, for example, how to deal with bullying teachers and authorities, Yep. right? You know, we were taught to follow the rule,
0: be compliant. Follow the rules. Do what you're told all the time, right? That's what the and, and for the most part, that's what we have all, have told our children. But when you have children going into schools where laws are being broken, you know how do you navigate that as a parent, right? You're going to have to build your kids up.
1: We have to teach. Right, so we have to teach them how to report behavior part of the authority that can be exposed, right? We have to teach them how to be spies in enemy territory, and we have to. Teach how to fight themselves because we're not going to be fight happens
0: no, and we've that's been fighting true. to get parents back into America's public school classrooms at Moms for Liberty. I know we have moms all over the country that have been speaking at school board meetings and really trying to build relationships to get back into schools again. But you're right. I mean, our children have been alone in schools for this past year, and some of the things that we're seeing coming out of these schools is just horrifying, completely antithetical to the teaching that's happening in the home. Um, a lot of really serious um, sexual education going on. Um I say serious in, in the manner that it's it's in depth and it's very focused and I know many people have said that they feel like it's an effort to kind of groom our children uh, to, mm-hmm. to become more sexual at an early age. Um, again, mm-hmm. driving a wedge between the parent and the child. Um, so any thoughts on some of those things and parents as, as they're fighting back? You know, Jeff, when I was thinking about when we've been working on Moms for Liberty and we were thinking about um, the podcast and how to share this message across the country of fighting for our children and their future in America. Joyful warriors came out of this idea of being a war mom, but when you see the Department of Education making some of the decisions that they're making, ignoring parents, and you see the Department of Justice issuing notices against parents, um, those certainly seem like very aggressive um, actions, right?
1: yeah. So that, that's a, uh, what you just described are more examples of why we're in a war Yeah, and what it means to be in a war. Right. And, and in a war, there's casualties. So, you know, in the Second World War, a lot of men went over to Europe and didn't come back. And so I don't know what it looks like in this war that we're in but we ought to expect that there will be casualties and you don't shut down when there's a casualty
0: no you don't but you know i have to be honest it's scary for moms right i mean the idea that you would be somehow labeled a domestic terrorist um, because you're speaking out against your children's school district because of some issue that has happened um, is concerning and we are seeing more violence in our schools have you been watching some of the the assaults that are happening the violence that's happening um i spoke about suicides earlier today i mean the kids are not all right
1: they are not all right and i think you know anybody who's paying attention is aware of these stories coming out of local schools that the school boards are trying to cover up
0: So advice for parents when they're looking for, when they go to their school district, right, they go to the teacher, they go to the principal, they go to the superintendent, then perhaps they go to the school board. Um, They're being ignored. Any advice for parents as they look for um, legal help to navigate some of these issues and to really hold their districts accountable?
1: So um, I generally, just as general advice, I tell people to document everything. So... Uh, that's going to require some folks who aren't organized to start getting a little better organized and they need to keep all the paper and in particular, and this is so important. Um, one of the, the techniques that the schools are using is they're not putting things in writing. Right. So um, if you send an email complaining about something that happened in school, chances are you're going to get a call back, not an email
0: back. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I have a technique that I like uh, my clients to use, it's called a recap email. Okay. And so let's say you uh, send an email to your superintendent and you get a call back. So you go ahead and you have your call. uh, Just like you normally would. And then when you hang up, you go back to your computer immediately and you type an email and you say, dear superintendent, so-and-so, thank you so much for uh, giving me a call this afternoon and and chatting with me about this subject. Um, I just wanted to recap what we discussed to make sure that I didn't misunderstand anything or leave anything out on the call. You said, blah, 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 blah. Then this is really important. You put on the last line, please let me know if I misstated or misunderstood anything or left anything out that was important.
0: And what does that do putting that at the end of that email?
1: Because in Later, if that email has to be used as evidence, it can constitute an admission by the superintendent that what was put in that email was accurate because the courts say that a reasonable person who receives a request like that, if they see something that's not accurate attributed to them, they would respond. And by not responding, they implicitly agree that it's accurate.
0: Okay, parents, so that, that means that you need to, once you have that phone call with the district, right, make sure you sit down and you write that recap email, and you say at the end, please let me know if anything that I have stated is incorrect or needs to be adjusted um, and make sure you put that on there and send that email um, so that you can hold your district accountable. Because Jeff is right. We are seeing time and time again these districts do not want to put correspondence in writing. They do not want to be held accountable uh, because they know that in many instances they are breaking the law.
1: Yeah. And so uh, by, by using the recap method, you get a, a written uh, trail. And that can be used as evidence if you have to go to court later or it can be, you know, provided to media or there's all kinds of things that that you can do with it. And it's very difficult for them to evade that. They don't have a lot of good choices when they get the email because if they, even if they do write you back and correct something or add something, then they're agreeing to the rest.
0: So, Jeff, as we close out today, I want to thank you for that advice and for joining us. Um, I know that there are many parents who are concerned about vaccine mandates for their children, um, k through twelve. And um, in true coffee and covid style, not to you know put you not to put too much pressure on you, but can you give us some hope? Is there hope here? Are we going to find a way uh, to make sure that parents have the right to direct the upbringing and the health care of their children in America going forward?
1: Um, yeah, I'm very optimistic about it. I, again, I don't think that we're going to get there without a struggle. But I see signs everywhere that uh, the struggle is working. I mean, you know, even most recently, you can point back to the the election results. Yeah. Right. The, the recent election results. Um, I think most folks that I talk to agree that that there seems to be a sense of momentum, a sense that if we're not at the tipping point yet, we're sort of getting close to the tipping point. Now, that doesn't mean we couldn't slide back down. But if the momentum continues the way that it it has been going, we're going to reach a point of no return where parents' rights are going to be asserted in all 50 states. That's what I believe.
0: That's awesome. And so thank you for coming on today. I said before, I do believe you're an American hero. I know that there are many other people like you that are fighting across this country, and you're working to kind of bring people together to make that happen. So, again, we appreciate you. Um, in Florida, we'll be entering special session soon uh, to firm up the Parents' Bill of Rights. And for anyone listening, if you'd like to learn more about the Parents' Bill of Rights, it was House Bill 241. You can go to um, the Florida House of Representatives website, and you can read the bill, again, the Parents' Bill of Rights. and. Um, we uh, would like to see it be a roadmap for engagement uh, for parents in Florida and then across the country. If you don't have parental rights legislation that is currently in your state or you'd like to improve it, check out that, that Parents' Bill of Rights in Florida because there's some great things about it and we're going to be working hard to strengthen it this special session and, and going forward every year, right?
1: Yeah. We're, we're, we're not quitting. We've been asleep for too long.
0: So we will be relentless. Jeff? Um, will you be an honorary joyful warrior with us?
1: It would be a delight. Awesome. As is speaking to you.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, Jeff Childers, thank you for joining us today. Uh, We will keep fighting around the country as joyful warriors at Moms for Liberty and um, we welcome you back anytime.
1: Terrific. Thanks, Tiffany. Thanks,
0: Jeff. Next up, we're going to answer questions from all of you joyful warriors around the country. So every week on the Joyful Warrior podcast, we're going to try to answer some questions from parents around the country. And one of the questions that I've been asked a lot recently is, what can we do about these pornographic books that we're finding in school libraries all over the country? And, um... You know, parents are speaking up. They're finding these books in their school libraries. Sometimes in elementary school libraries, the subject matter is really questionable, um, oftentimes, and sometimes outright just just wrong. Um, moms are posting <laughs> pictures and uh, excerpts from these books on social media, and they are being censored. If that is not just like the, the 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 funniest thing, right? They go in front of their school board and they tell their school board these books are in their children's elementary school libraries, middle school libraries, and they're ignored or made fun of, ridiculed, called book banners. And yet when they post the material that they're concerned about on social media, social media is saying, oh, no, no. You can't post that. That's pornography. We're going to censor it. Um, So, you know, very much uh, social media showing us the way forward isn't isn't that ironic. Um, And so, parents, when you're finding these books in your school libraries, what can you do? First of all, bring it to the attention of the principal. Right. Um, And and give them the opportunity to to get the books out of, of the libraries. I'm sure there will be some review process that happens at the district level. And I would continue your concerns all the way up to the superintendent and make sure that he or she is aware um, that these books are in your district – What we're seeing happening is that some districts are responding in a a normal way. They're concerned that the books are there, um, and uh, they're recognizing that they didn't have a a good vetting process in place for those materials, and and they're working to create some systems. Um, Some school districts are not uh, being as forthcoming, and they are fighting back, and they are justifying and and what I say is defending the indefensible. Um, There is absolutely no reason why pornography should be in America's public schools, Um, and you know, the state does not have the right to free speech. Um, and so we need to protect our kids. Uh, it's perfectly fine and acceptable that you want to know what books they have access to, that they may be reading in their free time or for, um, points for, for reading evaluation. And, um. Don't be afraid to to ask questions. If you go online, you can see there are are lots of different moms for Moms for Liberty that are posting books. I know there's a mom up in Rhode Island uh, who found pornography in her children's school and actually went to the local law enforcement with it. Um, We see Governor Henry McMaster in South Carolina um, actually opening an investigation and referring it to the – to his um, law enforcement division in South Carolina to, to figure out how these books are getting into libraries. But um, just a message to parents, um, trust your instincts. You know what's good for your child and what isn't. And if there's toxic material in your children's schools, it's, the onus is on, going to be on us. To get it out. Um, obviously, uh, we've been pushed out of America's public school classrooms, but it doesn't feel like America's public schools have been paying very much attention to what's happening inside those classrooms either. And it's going to take all of us working together to uh, make that difference. So stand up, speak out. Again, courage is contagious. The more people that you can bring together to, to make these issues known, the better off you will be. And um, as always, um, if you're looking for people that you can stand with, uh, that will support your right uh, to uh, direct the upbringing of your children. Uh, find a Moms for Liberty chapter near you or start one. You can reach out to us um, at momsforliberty.org and uh, we will be happy to um, talk with you and help you through whatever you're dealing with with your child's education. So uh, keep up the good fight, parents. Um, we're going to take our schools back. Next up, we chat with Pad, Chapter Chair Coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Hello again. Today we are going to be chatting with Pat, my favorite segment of our Joyful Warrior podcast, because Pat is working with chapter chairs for Moms for Liberty all across the country. Uh, an update, again, over 150 chapters in 33 states with almost 70,000 members of Moms for Liberty uh, speaking out and standing up for parental rights and their children's education. So I thought today would be fun. Let's talk to Pat about what does a Moms for Liberty chapter do? And first of all, hello. How are you?
2: Hello, I am well. How are you today? I'm
0: good. It's been a busy week. We we were on Fox yesterday morning uh, getting to talk about Moms for Liberty. Did you catch us on there, Tina and I?
2: Yes, you guys are amazing. And I'm just so thankful that um, Moms for Liberty is giving all the moms and dads and grandparents a national voice and an organization by which we can actually make significant change at home, in our local school districts.
0: Yeah, in your own backyard, right? And Tina and I are happy to do it. You know, we served as school board members. Pat, you know, you you were by my side while I was doing that. Uh, We know it's not easy to be a school board member, but we know that school board members need to build relationships with parents. It's an important partnership uh, in communities. And so we're just thankful to be able to speak out and to stand up for all of our moms. And it was really nice for all the joyful warriors around the country that sent notes to us about um, seeing us on TV. I got like videos of people's TV with their kids are playing and they're like, you're on Fox. I was like, I know. Can you believe it? How crazy January we started and and here we are now uh, with so many members. So, um, if you're a mom's for liberty chapter and you're um, in a state what what exactly do these chapters do Pat?
2: Well, so I think um, first of all, we just start with the fact that we're we're just we're parents and I, I don't want to say just parents because you know our parents come from all walks of life and generally we're moms um, who are leading the chapters and I think that happens organically because, you know, if you ask who's your child's teacher, the mom's going to be able to answer that question right off the bat. It's typically the moms who are hands-on in the education process. Well, somebody said um, to me
0: once, um, why why not Parents for Liberty? And, and I said, well, um, if you get the moms, you get the dads, right? Right. And, and <laughs> yes. We're the moms. So we're, we're bringing the – but we do actually have a chapter chair that is a dad
2: we do and, yeah. and 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 you know you and Tina are moms you were school board members but you were moms yeah, first yeah we are and, moms um so um you know we are parents and and lots of times when when you know normal people are sitting on their comfy couch watching fox news newsmax and the national news media and they see uh you know people like you and Tina on tv um this the real special thing about this is it's not top down it's not fox news is telling me this is happening and then i'm going to go do something about it this is this is the parents seeing that there is a huge problem and we're getting off the comfy couch and now fox news is finding out about it from us so um you know i've i've seen this narrative that oh you're us watch. you're seeing it happen on TV and you're believing it. No, we're telling the national news media, hey, look at us. This is what's happening. We need to make a difference. I always think it's um, funny when
0: people – I read some of the criticism. We had a Washington Post um, op-ed come out this week, and I did go read through the comments. I know a lot of you would probably say don't read the comments, um, but but I did. And um, it was really interesting because it's, it's like, oh, do these people actually even have kids in public school? I'm here to tell you I've got four in public school, and we have moms – I mean, our moms all have kids in public school, Right. I mean, not all of well, them, obviously, some, some have, have some homeschool, some have yeah. private school, but these are, these are parents that also are involved in the public education system as well.
2: Well, I will say that, um, you know, mine was in public school for a long time, and then we did decide to choose alternative for um, our child, and my, but as a, I was a former teacher, and I still really care about the public school system and a lot of the moms who started chapters had children in public school and for whatever reason some of them have chosen to choose schools of choice for their children until we can make public schools a better place for our children and it's suitable for for them so are all of our moms public you know moms of children in public school many of them are many of them have um, seen what is happening and they're like i can't continue to allow my child to be in this situation so many of them have chosen alternative schools of choice many of them some of them are homeschooling now Um, but but the goal is not to forget about public schools the goal is not to save our children today and then throw them to the wolves tomorrow um, because the fact of the matter is our nation is only going to be as strong as our education system.
0: Absolutely, And
2: uh, we, we need to take this very seriously. And as I talk to um, if you want to start a chapter in your area, there's a process by which to go back about that. And part of the process is an interview. And as I have been interviewing moms across the nation, the common theme has been, I used to trust the schools had the best interest of my children at heart. I used to trust the schools and now I see that they that I can't trust them. And then they say, if I don't do something now, life for my children in the future, is going to be impossible
0: so earlier in the podcast pat i spoke with jeff childers and uh, jeff is a a lawyer in alachua county i know i've worked with him um here in florida on on fighting against uh, mask mandates and vaccine mandates uh, for children and um jeff had said to me once and i shared this earlier in the podcast if you if you go back you can listen um that we are war moms now. You know, we are joyful warriors. We, Our moms are at school boards all across the country smiling, and uh, they're trying to be brave. Uh, they know their children are watching, but we are in a fight for the future of our country.
2: We really are, and not just that, but just for the family unit. Um, many of our moms, when speaking at school board meetings, have stated the schools think that the bureaucrats and the educators know how to raise our children better than we do. They want to usurp our authority as parents to mold our children. Morality is not something that schools should be teaching. That is our job as parents. And um, we should be able to do that through our own worldview, through the lens that we choose. Um, so that is part of the reason why uh, moms and dads and grandparents are, are now choosing to get off the couch and stand up um and what and the you know we have to have some serious discussions when we decide to do this
0: so pat if you went to a moms for liberty chapter meeting somewhere around the country what could you expect
2: If you go to a chapter meeting, what you will expect to see is uh, some patriotism. Uh, You'll see the Pledge of Allegiance, um, but you will also see your school board agenda. The parents are going to be there talking about what is going on at the school board. What are your school board members deciding for your children? Um, And you will see research into the curriculum that our children are are being given um and you will see parents who have been the volunteers in our schools we are the workhorses we are the ones who are involved who um make sure the homework is done and we're doing our homework now and um so it's a very dedicated hard-working group um who uh have found courage together uh, and we're able to pull our all our unique strengths Um, And so when you go to a meeting, that's what you'll see. Uh, Also, our chapters are at school board meetings. The goal is to have a chapter in every county in the United States of America. And you will see us at school board meetings and not always being um, divisive. uh, We try to advocate for uh, good policies. And so you'll see us supportive of that. Um, You will see us volunteering on committees. Um, So this work of a chapter consists of going to school board meetings, uh, informing the community and your membership about what is happening in your local district, and then activating parents and community members to get off that comfy couch and to get out and be part of the educational process because our future depends on it.
0: And we've been asleep too long. So again, let's get off the comfy couch. We need every single person. If you are a parent, you are the expert of your own child. You will hear me say it again and again. Your voice matters. Your opinion matters. There is not an expert who knows better than you uh, when you feel in your heart that something is, is harming your child. Trust yourself. Um, and get involved. So find a Moms for Liberty chapter near you or start one. You can go to momsforliberty.org and uh, check out uh, some of the work that we're doing. See if you have a chapter in your area or start one near you soon. Thank you so much for joining us today, Pat. We appreciate you. Thank you. As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting joyful warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand. Our children. Our choice. Our future.